Welcome back for another nerdy episode where books and drinking go hand in hand. And where foreshadowing and bizarre theories are all the buzz. Now get ready as we crack open and crack up over our new novels. I'm Aiden Galloway. I'm Bryn Plyler. And this is Sips and Subtext. The following podcast contains strong language, references to alcohol and sexual behavior, and books and characters we don't own. Hey guys, welcome back. I'm Aiden Galloway, and that's Bryn Plyler. And welcome back to Sips and Subtext. We're happy you guys could join us for our first episode digging into A Court of Thorns and Roses. How are you doing, Bryn? I'm good. I'm good. I'm feeling the shot already. I was supposed to already eat dinner. Didn't. It's okay. So we'll be getting into more tipsy time quicker than, than we thought. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I did eat dinner. And I'm <laughs> also already feeling the shot. So I'm right there with you. <laughs> so we better just start digging in. But yeah. first, let's mention what we're drinking tonight. We did take yes. a shot before just for mm-hmm. funsies. But we mm-hmm. are a classy little group of ladies tonight. We are drinking <laughs> all wine. Both of us. Yes. All both of us. Um, <laughs> so I have a peach yes. Moscato, which we'll see does come into the book a little bit later. Yeah. And then I have raspberry Moscato because wine comes up at least six times during these chapters. So Did that you was, actually count that? I did. I did count <laughs> okay. them. Okay. Okay. I knew it was relatively like. Yeah, I would have said more than five at least, but yeah, I'm pretty you sure it was six. Them. That's that's your job. You're just gonna count yes. the, the wine drinking. How often it happens? Yes. Okay, so I'm gonna go ahead and jump into the chapter summaries. So we read chapters one through eight for this episode, and before I get into that, I just wanted to say that. Um, so Alex and I are expecting our dinner to come at some point. So if you do hear you know, him exiting the apartment to go get our food. Just excuse us for that. I'm sorry. All right. So for chapter one, we open the book with our protagonist in a snowy forest. They immediately tell us that they're hungry and that winter is a hard time for their family. Uh, Today, they have gone deeper into the forest due to the lack of animals to hunt. They tell us of the fear of the fairylands and that they shouldn't have gone this deep in the woods this late in the day. All the narrator has been able to do for the past few years of their life is focus on surviving and providing for the family. So they climb down from the tree that they were perched in and go to find a new place to set up for hunting as like a last resort chance to bring something home that night. Now they start alluding to their love of painting and state that they're that they don't really notice pretty colors or textures anymore. Now, the thing that they pay attention to the most is the dream to see her sisters married off to good people and to have enough food and money to go around between her and her father. They tell us of stolen hours in a barn with Isaac Hale, and they say that that time is not loving or fulfilling. Then our narrator sees a deer and it brings them back to present time and they take aim because killing and bringing home this deer would feed the family for a week or more. So they double check their aim and as she's doing that she sees another set of eyes from across the clearing. When this happens she says that all sounds around her cease. 
the snow stops falling. She said that she should have prayed to the high gods because on the other side of the clearing was an enormous wolf. She debates with herself on whether or not the wolf is a fairy because of its unusually large size, but decides to accept that it's probably just a regular wolf. But just in case it's a fae, she changes out her normal arrow that she was aiming at the deer with for her only ash arrow, which is said to kill or weaken a fairy. So a lot of internal debate goes on in her decision of whether or not to change aim and kill the wolf instead of the doe. And finally, the wolf makes a noise and alerts the doe to its presence. So the wolf charges and attacks the doe. And so our narrator fires the ash arrow into his side. The wolf yelps and releases the doe. The doe is now dead. The wolf turns and just merely looks at the hunter. Doesn't try to retaliate, doesn't try to defend themselves. And so our narrator shoots him a second time because they say that the awareness and the look that the wolf gave her made her nervous and surprised her. So she shot it a second time. The wolf did not try to dodge her second arrow and it went straight through his eye. Then she said that snow churned around her and color and darkness whirled as the creature died. After she approaches and realizes the wolf is finally dead, she cleans her arrows and begins to skin the wolf with her knife. She then wraps the doe in the wolf pelt, then picks up the doe and the wolf pelt over her shoulder and walks out of the forest to go home and she leaves the wolf's body in the woods because she could only carry one. So now we move on to chapter two. So our narrator exits the woods and slowly walks up to their cottage, noting the faded ward marks on the threshold. When she enters the household, we learn her name for the first time and it's spoken by one of her sisters. So the narrator's name is Farah, and she greets her sister Elaine very sarcastically when Elaine asks where she got the dough from. Uh, then we learn that her other sister's name is Nesta, and their father comments on Feyre's luck in the forest today. We find out that the father has a ruined leg from an ambush back when they were rich by people the father owed money to. Feyre gives a little bit more of their backstory and how they got to where they are now living in their dilapidated cottage. Feyre announces that they will eat half of the meat from the dough this week, dry the other half, and that she'll be going to the market tomorrow to sell the hide and the pelt. Elaine and Nesta immediately begin arguing on who will be able to spend the money that they earn on the hides and what they might spend it on. Feyre then goes to change clothes and tells her sisters to prepare the water for boiling the meat. Then she notices that Nesta didn't chop wood that day. They argue briefly before Feyre leaves and goes into their bedroom. And in the bedroom, Feyre comments on all of the paintings that she had done and that her sisters had never noticed or cared. Once, they once she returns, they all have dinner. And they even have a second small helping until Feyre declares the meat off limits. Then Feyre thinks of their mother and remembers the promise that she made to her when she was a lot younger and before the mother died. Then she turns her attention back to her sisters, to what they're saying. And Nesta says that she will be is to be married soon to the woodcutter's son, Thomas Mandry. 
Feyre brings back up the fact that Nesta still didn't chop wood that day. And Nesta replies that she thought Feyre wanted to get rid of her and Elaine so that she would have time and space to paint her glorious masterpieces. Feyre tells her that she's not going to marry Thomas. Then Nesta responds that she'd rather marry Thomas than rut in the hay with Isaac Hale like an animal. Feyre tries to put Nesta in her place when it comes to love and marriage and reality. And Nesta responds by putting Feyre down and pointing out her insecurities. Nesta and Elaine leave to go to the bedroom and Feyre tells her father that he needs to step in and talk some sense into his daughters. The father says that Nesta needs hope and that Feyre should let her sister hope and imagine a better life. Feyre then turns to him and tells him that there's no such thing. Chapter three. The next day, the three sisters are walking to the village to sell the hides at the market. On the way there, they are intercepted by a group of young women who call themselves the children of the blessed. They talk about the high fae and worshiping them and sending young women over the wall to be fairy brides. Nesta does not take kindly to them and is very rude to them until Feyre steps between them and just tells them to move on. Once they reach the market, Elaine and Nesta go off on their own and Feyre goes to try and find buyers for the two hides. She has three different options that she can sell them to when she sees a mercenary off to the side of the market. She walks up and strikes up a conversation with her. The mercenary says that she does not barter goods for her service services. Feyre responds, you'll be out of luck in this sort of place. The mercenary then quizzes Feyre on the wolf pelt and the doe hide. She asks to see them, and when she does, she offers to pay quite a large sum for both the pelt and the hide. Feyre pockets the money, knowing that her sisters probably saw how much the mercenary gave her. Then the mercenary offers Feyre some advice. She tells her not to go back that far in the woods again. She tells her to beware of the high fae, and especially beware of a fae type called the Martax. The mercenary shows Feyre her battle scars and her leg full of poison and tells her a little bit about how to kill a fairy. Feyre thanks her for her warnings and then goes back to her sisters. Nesta tells Feyre not to go near the mercenary again because they had been robbed by one in the past. Feyre asked why they didn't tell her and when Nesta asked what she could have done, Feyre says, well then why didn't you tell your man Thomas? When Nesta doesn't respond, she points out that Isaac is waiting for Feyre. Isaac motions for Feyre to follow him to their spot. Nesta says that she hopes they're taking precautions. Feyre says it's a little bit late for her to pretend like she cares, even though Isaac had been buying contraceptive brew the whole time. Feyre then follows Isaac, telling her sisters that she'll meet them at home. That night after dinner, they're all gathered around the fire when Feyre decides to try and convince Nesta not to marry Thomas again. But before she can even open her mouth, there is a loud, deafening roar and a huge shape in the doorway of their home. Moving on to chapter four. Feyre tells the creature to get out and hurls a hunting knife at it. The creature swipes that aside, roars at her and takes a like a warning swipe back at Feyre. Then the creature asks who killed him. They find out that the creature is looking for the person who killed the wolf and Feyre owns up and says that she did. When asked if she was provoked, she said no. And the creature says that she's broken the treaty that had been made between the fairies and the humans over 500 years prior. 
Feyre asks what the payment is for breaking the treaty, and the creature says a life for a life. Feyre accepts the consequences of her actions, but asks that it's not done in front of her family. Upon saying this, the fairy then offers Feyre a loophole, saying that she can either die tonight or offer her life to Prithian, which is the fairy world, and live in it forever. Her father tells her to do it at first, but Feyre doesn't understand the creature's sudden mercy. Then the father asks for her to be spared since she's all that they have and says that, you know, he can get gold to pay the creature for not taking Feyre. The creature then asks the father, how much is your daughter's life worth to you? When the father doesn't answer, Feyre asks, when do we go? And the creature says, now. Feyre then immediately turns to her family, saying that the food should last them two weeks if they're smart. She tells them where she left the money from the pelts. She tells them where to hunt when the spring comes and tells them to ask Isaac for help with snares. In the last second, Feyre turns to Nesta and says, don't marry Thomas because his father beats his wife and he does nothing about it. So he'll probably do the same to you. The father grabs Feyre and tells her some last words and says, that she's too good for them, too good for this place, and says, don't ever come back if you're released. He tells her to go and make a name for herself because that's what she really deserves. Feyre thinks on her promise to her mother, shrugs out of her father's grip, and follows the beast out into the night. Chapter 5. Once in the woods, the beast motions for Feyre to mount a white mare. As they travel through the woods, Feyre thinks on this new turn of events. She tries to find ashwood trees among the dark trunks to try and protect her or see if she can like smuggle some with her since that's the only thing that is supposed to weaken fairies. Uh, she also tries to come up with a plan to escape and get back to her family, but decides that it wouldn't be smart yet. She then tries to strike up a conversation with the fairy, but he growls, and then she smells something metallic before passing out. When she wakes up, she's bound by invisible bonds and is still on top of the horse. She now knows that it was magic that he used on her to make her pass out. She knows she's upset, but is unable to move or speak about it at the moment. And all she can do is watch as they approach this metal gate. Chapter 6. Feyre is in awe of the beautiful estate, noting a bunch of colors and textures and movement. She also notes that it is most definitely spring here. Once they reach the foot of a grand staircase, her bonds are removed. The fairy then enters this mansion and leaves her outside to decide when she wants to come in. She contemplates making a run for it, but decides that that wouldn't be smart considering that she would have to go on foot and without food. So she walks inside the home and the door to her left opens as if on command. So she enters that room and inside is a huge table covered in food and wine. Feyre remembers that humans are not supposed to eat in Prithian unless they want to end up enslaved to the fairies. Then the beast changed form into a young golden haired man and Feyre could tell that he was one of the high fae. The High Fae tells her that she needs to eat and says that the food is fine for humans and it will not keep her here and says that she can live anywhere in Prithian. A new person enters the room and asks if Andres is dead and Feyre's captor slash savior nods. The newcomer questions how Feyre was able to kill Andres the wolf. Feyre steps up to defend herself, but he continues to doubt her and question her. We learn that his name is Lucian and 
He is the courtier and emissary. The Beast tells Lucian her name is Feyre when Feyre herself fails to say it, and then tells her that Alice will take her to her room. Lucian suggests some other other ideas on how to deal with Feyre, and the Beast slash High Face says, no, she stays. Her life was hell in that hovel, and we shouldn't make it any worse. Lucian says that the Beast has his work cut out for him. Now, in a lavish bedroom, Alice and two other servants bathe Feyre, and then cut her hair and try and put her into a velvet dress. Feyre refuses the dress and asks for her old clothes. Alice eventually returns with her clothes that are now in scraps and said they fell apart the moment that the laundress put them in the water. Alice asks if she'll wear the dress now. Feyre again refuses and Alice comes back with the tunic and trousers. Alice comments on how skinny Feyre is and Feyre says Winter does that to poor mortals. Alice tells her that she needs to keep her mouth shut, ears open, and to keep her wits about her in the, in the fairy world. She also tells Feyre that some people are bound to be upset about Andres, but that Andres knew what he would face when he crossed the wall. And she also tells Feyre that Lucian needed some, needs someone to snap at him and put him in his place every once in a while. When Alice finishes with Feyre's hair, Feyre is sent back down to the dining room for dinner. Chapter 7. When Feyre reaches the dining room, Lucian and golden-haired High Fey are already seated. He again tells her that the food is safe for her to eat. When she makes no move to eat, he asks her what does she want. Again, there's no answer from Feyre. Lucian then says, I told you, Tamlin, your skills with females have definitely become rusty in the recent decades. Lucian comments on her tunic, and when she says that she would rather wear a dress, Lucian questions her, and Tomlin answers for her, saying that it would be easier for her to kill them if she's not in a dress. When Feyre asks what they plan to do with her, Tamlin just asks her to sit down. When she does, Tamlin rises from his seat and walks towards her. He then picks up a plate and starts putting food on the plate in front of her. When she tells him that she can serve herself, Tamlin tells her that it's an honor for a human to be served by a high fae. When they sit back down, Tamlin says awkwardly, you look better than before. Your hair is clean. When asked if she was to be a slave, Tamlin said he does not keep slaves. Feyre tries to talk her way out of staying in Prithian forever, and Lucian calls her out for not apologizing for the act that got her here in the first place, and asked how she kills Andres. She tells the story and says her family won't last a month without her. Tamlin promises her that her family is alive and taken care of, and that he's given them an altern alternative source of income and nourishment. They argue, and Feyre finally concedes to eating. When finished with food, she makes to leave, and Lucian questions her yet again. She says that she'd like to sleep, but Lucian persists, asking what she finds so unpleasant about them, and that fey men must not be that awful to look at unless she has a man back home. Feyre admits that she was close with someone back home. Tamlin asks if she was in love with the man, and she says no. He asks if she's ever been in love with anyone. She again says no. Tamlin says that they want to learn more about her, but Lucian's pride tends to get in the way of that, so they'll give her a few days to settle in, and then they'll try again. When Feyre asks why they're being so generous, Tamlin says that he kills too often and that Feyre's, you know, insignificant enough not to cause too much of a ruckus.
She leaves the dining room, and then she hears Lucian laugh and Tamlin growl. She sleeps with the lock on her door that night. When she wakes up, she thinks about her family and thinks about the pathetic compliment that Tamlin tried to give her the night before. Then someone enters her room, and the booby trap that she set snaps them in the face. Feyre realizes it was Alice and immediately goes to her aid, apologizing. Alice asks if she thought that that would keep her from being able to hurt Feyre, and Feyre says it was just a warning bell to help her get away, and Alice reminds her that she can't outrun the Fey, but admires that Feyre would put up a fight. Alice dodges most of Feyre's questions that morning and tells Feyre to go for a walk in the garden. On her way out of the manor, Feyre notices the paintings in the manor for the first time. She states that she could have stared at them for hours, but realize it was, realizes that it would be a better use of her time to go to the garden and make herself, to make herself aware of her surroundings. But before she makes it to the door, Tamlin asks where she's going, then offers to give her a tour, and she promptly declines. He tells her that he's not going to break his promise. She asks if his promise extended to everyone else there, and he tells her that they are under orders not to touch her. They discuss the treaty and what his friend was doing in the woods that day. Tamlin tells Feyre of a sickness in Prithian and that Andres was looking for that cure. Feyre asks if the sickness will ever spill over into the human world. Tamlin says that that is definitely a possibility. He then asks if the tripwire in her room was for him, and she asks him if he can if he blames her for taking precautionary measures. Tamlin promises her that he is civilized and that he'll see her at dinner. Feyre then wonders if the High Fae would ever even bother warning the humans about this supposed sickness. And then finally, chapter eight. While walking in the gardens, Feyre begins thinking up another escape plan. She also takes note of all the paths and clever hiding places in the gardens when suddenly she hears two pairs of feet behind her. She remembers Alice's warning of keeping her wits about her and carefully scans and listens, but cannot find anyone. Then she feels as if someone is standing right behind her. She prepares herself to turn and face it when suddenly Alice's voice calls out to her, telling her that lunch is ready and the figure vanishes, but Feyre still feels like she's being watched as she goes back to the manor. That night, Feyre steals a dinner knife from the table while Tamlin and Lucian are distracted with their conversation. After a while, Lucian notices Feyre looking at his sword, and Tamlin tells him that she likes to hunt. Feyre corrects him and says that she did it out of necessity and not pleasure. Lucian then asks her age, and she responds 19. When Feyre asks what they do as immortals, Tamlin asks if her mom never told her stories about them. Feyre says that her mom didn't have time to tell her stories, and Tamlin asked how she died, and Feyre responds, typhus, when she was eight. They give her their condolences, and Feyre leaves the dining room. She decides to speak with Lucian the next day and start thinking of a plan, and she also preps a bag with spare clothes and her stolen knife just in case. Okay, so do you want to take it chapter by chapter or do you want to just go like overall thoughts? So uh, let's do overall thoughts and then we can start breaking okay. down chapter by chapter. Overall thoughts. I don't know how to say this nicely, so I won't. Feyre is annoying. She's not my <laughs> to, favorite. No, she's not at all. 
And I hate saying that because I want her to be so great. She's a cool female character. She takes care of everyone. She Mm -hmm. shoots a bow and arrow. But it just feels like every single female character, strong female character that they've given to us in the past in young adult fiction. Mm -hmm. Like, she has Katniss elements with the bow and arrow, Beauty and the Beast. Like, that's a. I think that's what this Mm -hmm. is based on. So, obviously, there's that bell. But it just felt recycled and nothing new. At least to me at first. And I think I really want to like it. And I hope she develops more throughout the series. Like, mm-hmm. And I think that's already starting to happen towards the when she's finally in the Fae world. Kind of yeah. having her eyes opened. But I think that soured it a little bit for me at first. But I'm excited to see how it goes. Because I am mm-hmm. interested in the flip side of the human world. Kind of everything she believed being turned on her head. And that's an interesting storyline to me. Not her as the character but mm-hmm. kind of the development that i can foresee possibly happening yeah yeah no i i agree with you on all of that um i would say the biggest thing that stuck out to me was you know in chapter five whenever she was kidnapped by this random fairy uh who we okay. later pause that's not a kidnapping that's not a kidnap i know okay she said yes i'll go with you all right so you don't when she was me. taken when she was okay, I'll I'll stop taking taken by the fairy, forced, which forced. we don't find out. We do not find out Tamlin's name, which I still want to call him Tomlin. I still read it as Tomlin, but it I will pronounce it Tomlin. Tomlin. I going back to how well, it's it <laughs> it doesn't tell us anything. <laughs> we don't okay. know how to pronounce it. It we don't Tammy boy. <laughs> That's what he is now. I'm sorry. Tammy boy. Tammy boy. Okay. So we don't find out Tamlin's name until chapter seven, which irks me. Like, I like to know who the frick I'm talking to early on. Like, I don't want to just refer to that person as them, that person. It irks me so much. And then the other thing that I had to say was that once he takes her, to the fairylands and she's constantly trying to come up with a way to escape him it irked me so much i was like girl you've already said that you can't outrun him you can't outsmart him you can't like outthink him why are you trying to escape you're stuck just accept it see i also was annoyed at that but for an entirely different reason because i'm just like (laughs) you came from a little hovel they called it that that's Mm -hmm. what it was sweetie like you were yeah. very poor, starving, almost dying. And now you're in this marbled field, as yeah. much food as you can eat, gardens yeah. everywhere. And you're like, I need to get back to my brother and sisters or father and sisters who yeah. aren't great to be around yeah. because of a vow. I would have been like, okay, cool. I'll wear your dress. I don't care. So- also, the trouser dress thing. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> shut. You are not a better woman for not wanting to wear dresses. Like... I guess if in her mind, then she can't run, but that's not how it's portrayed. It's just portrayed like, I don't like dresses. I don't like to wear a dress. Mm -hmm. Like you're not, it's almost like reiterating that women are special because they don't like what other women like. Therefore they're almost better. And Mm -hmm. that annoys me so much. And a female character be strong and cool and all these other things and still like to wear a dress every once in a while. Like, yeah, honestly, I feel like someone is more threatening in a dress. Like people don't, generally see women in dresses as a threat so therefore you can get closer to people you can but okay so like the description of her her description is that she has honey hair 
And it doesn't say, you know, whether she's tall or thin. Well, we know. Yeah, they do say she's thin. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Oh, she's dying. Yeah. She's very, very thin. But she's athletic. So I may regret thinking this now. But at this moment, whenever I think and like envision Feyre, I see my sister, Avery. Mm. She's the youngest of us. Well, I mean, she's... She's a twin, but she's younger than Claire by two minutes. She takes care of Claire the majority of the time. And she has honey hair. She's tall and thin. She's athletic. She can probably do everything that Feyre is doing. And that's just who I'm picturing right now. She doesn't like to wear dresses. You know, all of these things are just feeding into... And she doesn't talk to new people. Like whenever Feyre went into the dining area with... Tamlin and Lucian. Lucian. I have a lot to say about Lucian. Just I do too. Oh, oh my, my gosh. <laughs> um, but, anyway, but I can't uh, wait for him to hurt me. Is all I'm gonna say. I know he will. I'm prepared for it. I. But I'd let him do it. <laughs> he's a very interesting character. I think that he, you know, he, he seems to really care about Andres, Andres, Andreas. I'm not sure how to pronounce. Andres? Andrus. Yeah, it doesn't have the E in it, so that's how I would assume. Andrus. So it seemed like he had a really good bond with both Andrus and oh, with Tomlin. Oh, yeah, they were quote-unquote friends. Like, yes. I have things to say. I think that's some queer coding there. But Yeah, it seems like that, but he seems, if he can earn Tamlin's respect, mm-hmm. if he was that close with another person... He obviously has a good side. He's just not willing to show it to Feyre because she's the one who killed him, which I totally understand. I get. I would probably be a dick to the person who killed my best friend, my lover, my whatever as well. But yeah, I think that he's going to develop very interestingly. I wonder, since Tamlin has put a no-touch order on Feyre for all of the people living under his realm, I, I think it's going to be interesting how Lucian and Feyre's interactions develop. Yeah, and I think one thing that at least I started picking up on with those two characters is that they very much seem like almost the same coin, different sides. They're both very much xenophobic is or bigoted towards the other group of people. Like she very much hates the Fae because of everything she was taught as a child and it's kind of having to unlearn that as she's starting to, I think, to a certain mm-hmm. degree. Yeah. Um, and I think he's been told the same exact things about humans, that they're dirty and can't take care of themselves and uneducated, which, I mean, as far as we've seen, he's not that one. Like, even, <laughs> I can't understand her viewpoint. Like, she, her family was killed by people that her father owed money to and she's like humans are superior like Mm -hmm. no they just killed your entire household for a little bit of gold and you're still on the human side which i have stuff to say about her father and her sisters but go ahead you you go ahead (gasps) and finish your yes i was gonna just read i finally found the section where she talks about how she looks like in more detailed like Mm -hmm. when she's looking in the mirror because i wanted to talk about just something i hate that any person writing female characters does when they describe themselves in the I way. So I sat before a marble vanity lane. Alice braided my wet hair. I cringed at my reflection. It wasn't pleasing, 
though not for its actual appearance. While my nose was relatively straight, it was the other feature I'd inherited from my mother. I could re still remember how her nose would crinkle with faint amusement when one of her fabulous wealthy friends made some unfunny joke. At least I had my father's soft mouth, though it made a mockery of my two sharp cheekbones and hollow cheeks. I couldn't stand to look at my up-tilted eyes. I would see Nessa or my mother looking back at me. And it's just, I think what I had issues with, because everything she's describing, people would kill to look like that. Right. Having all those separate features, so beautiful, and she hates herself. And I think a lot of writers think that they have to make the character find themselves unappealing or have that self-hatred, which unfortunately is realistic to a lot of women, for them to be realistic. And yeah. I just wish a woman would be like, no, I'm beautiful and I know it, and not yeah. be the villain. Because it's not a bad thing to find yourself attractive. That should be mm -hmm. the bare minimum of how you treat yourself is to think that you're beautiful no matter what you look like. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. I wish that authors would be more true to women like that. I wish they would paint women in a better light in that way, in that aspect. Uh, I agree with you most fervently on that degree. If it's, it's all right with you, I want to talk about the family now. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, like, obviously, yes, good for them for having that self-confidence. But everyone should have self-confidence, even if they don't meet society's standards. And that's not a big... Okay. Yeah. That just really annoyed me. Everyone does it. I just get more frustrated when women authors do it because I'm like, you've been through this. Like, you know what yeah. that could do to someone's self-esteem to hear this beautiful woman right. call herself ugly. Right. Like, yes. We already grew up that with everyone else telling us that. Don't put it in our... What in what we read. Exactly. We want to read to escape all of the stuff that society is telling us. Don't put what society also says in your writing. Okay. The family. Please. Yes. Oh, my God. The sisters. I swear. Nesta okay. is a bitch. I... <laughs> what in the world i could not get over reading her i was so angry reading I'm about laughing. her character i agree I, she's a bitch but i love her bitch like she's no she's an awful person awful person but at least she feels like a real person elaine I just agree. feels like a muppet you know i agree she's just I, there yeah, Elaine like, is just, she's just there. She's along for the ride. But I also hate that, you know, no one is on Feyre's side. Like, Elaine always follows Nesta. Nesta automatically hates Feyre and will mm -hmm. only talk to Elaine in a nice manner, will only protect Elaine, doesn't care for the father. The father doesn't seem to care about any of them, in all honesty, until she's about to... Right? <laughs> he's essentially dead. He is. He's he's just he's he's a vegetable. And he's basically and I hate just to say that about the, them. About the disabled person. But there's I mean, I can't talk about what it's like to be disabled, but there's more he could be doing. Like obviously I he agree. could go into the forest and hunt. Like he would die. But to just whittle and then maybe yeah. take those somewhere. I guess since he used to be rich, he didn't learn a lot of skills. But I feel yeah, like he I must guess. have had some. I, I don't know. He can carve wood. If you like, actually put all of your time and effort into carving wood, you can make a you know a sustainable a living chair. from that. A chair. Someone could have Something. a chair. Yes. It's not a like table. He's just made like twiddly things, like a yeah. little bird to sit on your like right, windowsill. Yes. Like no one needs that. 
make something worthwhile. I don't know. I just, it irked me that he was the person that, you know, should have been. I understand that he was disabled and I understand that that was humiliating and uncomfortable for him to have to go through. But I think that, you know, you have three dependents who are solely relying on you. And also, he wasn't the only person who went through that trauma. Like, yes, reading Feyre describe it was a very brief thing, but Mm -hmm. she mentioned, I stayed with my father, I vomited and messed on myself. Yep. She went through, she was six, seven at the time, I think. Mm -hmm. I didn't note that, but so young. And still, she was the most qualified adult. That's sad. And honestly, that's one area that makes me give Thera a little bit of a a break. Because mm-hmm. I know I could, the trauma's shining through just straight at me. <laughs> she definitely is forced in this position. But I give me a reason other than a promise to your mother that you hate Yeah. Like, well, they- she describes that, you know, in their village, in their lands, that promises are sacred that if you don't have if you don't keep your promises then you don't keep your soul it's almost to that extent that that's the way that she made me feel how it was Mm -hmm. and that might just be different like backgrounds like i'm not gonna be able to keep every promise i made that's why i don't try not to make promises because i just know that but i just feel like if i was in her shoes i would have never made that promise but she was also five and what kind of she was mother? Eight. She was eight. She was eight. Yeah, she was eight when her mom died. I thought they had gone. Had they already been ruined before yes. her mom died? Yeah, because oh, she mentions that okay. her mom I was around long enough to see them fall from their high horse. That's not the Honestly, words that good. she uses. She deserves it. I don't. Yeah, I, I didn't like the mom either. But yeah, so like at the very end of chapter eight, she says. Like, they ask her, you know, didn't your mother tell you anything about us? And she says, my mother didn't have the time to tell me stories. They asked when she died. And she said... Oh, I marked this, too. Typhus, when I was eight. Mm-hmm. So she did specify that it was at eight years old and what it was from. I will go off of that into a different point that I'm <laughs> angry about. I'm angry about a lot of things all the time, but so on that same page, <laughs> uh-huh. a little bit down, it's Lucian glanced between us, that metal eye roving, but kept silent. Then Tamlin shook his head, the movement more animal than anything, and murmured, I'm sorry for your loss. And that hinted that the mom is not just the mom, and if she's a fae, I'm going to scream, because I don't want a heroine to be special in lieu of their heritage or being half fae or anything like mm-hmm. that. I just want her to be a cool badass who didn't, who killed a fae without even knowing it. Like right, obviously yeah. that was a mistake, but she killed a fae that should be impossible for a human to do or very, very difficult. Yes. It should have been difficult. And she literally took him down in like what? 20 seconds. Two arrows. Like yeah. that's crazy. And if it's because she's, has magic which the concept of magic is very weird because it seems like Mm -hmm. all the magic is with the fae now 
but it also seems like possibly humans used to have magic or maybe I was mm-hmm. reading it a certain way and mm-hmm. they just lost it or evolved to not have it over time. It would make sense that she was able to kill him so easily because she did have, you know, magic in her blood or magic in her heritage, whatever that is. But it's, yeah, it it would be troubling to me for her to, for her mother to be a fae based off of what I've heard because she, she has no love for her mother. Mm -mm. So if her mother is the, she doesn't have any love for her father either, but if her mother. And yet she wants to live the rest of her life with him. Right. Yeah. Whenever she was describing that, she was like, you know, all I want to do is make sure that my two older sisters are married off and then father and I can just live together in peace. Don't you want to marry? Don't you want to have dreams and aspirations don't you want to go somewhere do something our king isaac yes i literally have i have feelings about that too i have a note in my hold on let me see if i can find it about isaac because they were obviously her nessa's misogynistic and awful for all the reasons but i haven't blurted it out in front of the dad the dad didn't react i was just like oh that's that's too real oh <laughs> my note uh, is isaac hale boring name prob irrelevant <laughs> that's all i wrote about him <laughs> and i still think i'm right what i have is isaac hale empty sex come on man then later on she says that she's the one who initiated it but you know he's getting some like he should make it fun and but interesting. they were they- safe yes safe sex is important kids yes even if you have to brew a weird potion to do it (laughs) yeah um i i don't really like isaac we don't know him yeah we don't know him but based off of what she said he sounds irrelevant Mm -hmm. he doesn't sound like he's good in bed Mm -mm. and you know both of those are just they're not enticing as a partner and they're not enticing as you know a person you know but something I do want to mention as about a character, that is not a person, a character. Yeah. The way that her sisters describe it, which I do want to point out, if we're talking about the um, original Beauty and the Beast myth, this is very like pretty true to the original because it's not the Disney book, which is she has a father and she's the only girl. And that's why it's so important when she gets lost. No, she has a father and two older sisters who don't do anything or just spoiled, rotten little girls and then she's the one who has to take care of it that's why it matters when her dad has to give her up to the beast not because she's there he loves her so much because he's her her only child but i will say that i found it really interesting how often nessa made reference to her like she was an animal and that could be because because she was uneducated or because of her sets with isaac but it was very it led into the wolf like she was the same as that wolf which ended up being the Mm face so she's already being lumped in with these Mm -hmm. dangerous magical creatures that they think they are Mm -hmm. and that was a really cool thing that the author did that's one thing i really liked is kind of the way the um author describes without really describing that hinge into references what's coming next yeah you're just a half wild beast with the nerve to bark orders at all hours of the day and night. That, I didn't like her before that, and I didn't like her after that, but I'm pretty sure that was the nail in the coffin for me. You cannot say that to your sister. 
Oh, also another great quote on or page 18 is she's talking about her, the woodcutter son, which his father's abusive and he does nothing to stop it, which great choice, Thomas, Nessa, yeah. you deserve him. Um, <laughs> obviously no one mm. deserves to get abused, but some people are closer than others. Um, there's nothing you can do. Claire better told me this afternoon that Thomas is going to propose to me any day now and I'll never have to eat this strapped den. She added with a small smile. At least I don't have to resort to running in the hay with Isaac Hale like an animal. Yeah. I, what's wrong with Isaac Hale? He's the he, son he's, of the most rich farmer in their town. You are going to a mediocre son of a wood carver or whatever he is. And I think that Feyre found a better match than you did. Isaac isn't abusive. But it wasn't a match. It wasn't a match. It was That's just true. purely physical and maybe some friendship by the sound yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Nessa really hates is that she, I, it sounds like this is very medieval England type of times where you can't have sex out of wedlock, all those different propriety, purity things without the religion mm-hmm. standpoint, because there's no religion except for the cult. Well, they say um, the high gods, but they yes, say but they don't know their names. They don't they know say- their name. They've forgotten their names and they used to worship them, but they no longer do. Because she said, you know, if I were to pray to somebody, I would pray to the high gods, but I don't know their names and therefore they're irrelevant or something along those lines. If you and don't it was know your just... God's name, you don't have a religion to me. I mean, in Christianity, you say God is God, but at least you have something to call them other than like, hey, gods, can you like do mm-hmm. something? Mm-hmm. And I, well, I was just going back to ne- Nesta. She just, I think she also hates that someone else is getting attention. Mm-hmm. is what it comes down to. She's the prettiest. She's the most educated. She was the richest and was supposed to be in a relationship getting married first. She was supposed to be the heir. I mean, she's whatever. a woman. I don't know if she would have been a heir as much as she well, would have gotten. Whoever she married. Shoot. Yeah. Whoever she married would have been the heir. But she would have still gotten the all of the reaps of the fortune. Yeah, whatever title, if her dad mm-hmm. was titled, would have gone right. on to her husband. And I think that's where a lot of the aggravation... I think also she hates that Feyre is so fine with not being rich anymore. Because Feyre mm-hmm. really doesn't remember it. Yeah. So she is able to just go on with her life and mm-hmm. see these peasants as one of her. And just yeah. be able to react and interact normally. Well, and children at Feyre's age... They can adapt to anything. Yes, they might be used to having all of these riches, all of these things, getting whatever they want. But, you know, if it's taken away from them at at a young enough age, they can adapt to that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they'll still bear the trauma and the detriment of it. But kids are the most resilient age of human. (laughs) Yes. Don't put them through this stuff if you can, obviously, because they're kids. But... They're, they're the if they fall down they'll get back up again mm-hmm. so do we want to cool. start going chapter by chapter cool okay so, sure let me get out yeah. my handy dandy composition book like i'm from an english class in fifth grade <laughs> so we already talked about isaac hale boring irrelevant i agree with that also i meant to do research on this but i think wolves are normally that big like wolves are really big yeah. she describes them as the same yes. size as a pony Wolves are already yes. the same size as a pony. 
So that's not impressive yes, to I, me. Maybe he was yeah, a small they, thing. Um, I don't know. I yeah, I've seen peak pictures pictures recently of you know some people going and spending time with wolves who have been somewhat domesticated, and they are very very large animals. And so you know, I don't oh, know yeah. when dogs like started getting smaller. I don't know when that happened, but I'm kind of glad they did because if dogs followed in their ancestors as much as, you know, a full-blooded bred wolf, I would be scared of every dog if it was the same size of said wolf. I mean, yeah. um, I mean that was just yes. breeding. They wanted yeah. to breed down wolves, so they picked the smallest. I'm assuming. I don't know the, a lot of the research behind it, but I'm <laughs> thinking back when wolves were just hanging out at their campfires. Mm-hmm. I would assume that the people would choose the smaller ones that could still do things for them. But if they turned on them, they wouldn't die as easy. And that's when they started mm-hmm. getting smaller. This okay. is all conjecture. I'm not a biologist. <laughs> but that's I, how I think selective breeding works. I will go off of what you said because all of my education is on weddings and events. Nothing to do with biology. The biology so, I know most about is horses. So I think she shows how dumb she was first chapter. Because she could have left. (laughs) She could have just not killed either of them and chosen to die. Mm -hmm. Then kill a fae and definitely died. Like she could have had that next day possibly to find something. Or Mm -hmm. knowing how a wolf eats and kills, wait for the wolf to kill the deer. Then when he leaves it, because they don't stick around that long, I don't think. Especially if it was a fae. He wouldn't stay there for that long. He'd move on. Which we know he was a fae. Then just take the rest of the deer. Yeah, but I think that, you know, she was worried that he wasn't alone. You know, worried that, you know, maybe she was next. If, especially if he wasn't alone. By and that logic, I, definitely I don't, don't kill him then. Because then the wo- they'll know where you are. And then the That's rest true. of them would kill you. But also... I, so whenever she did kill him, she said that, like, something was emanating off of him as he was dying. So, like, obviously, to me, him, that was a... There was an earthquake. The ground shuddered. It. I have that quoted. That's not a normal wolf. <laughs> if the yeah. ground is shuddering, oh, yeah. maybe don't kill it. Just a thought. Especially if you're afraid of the fae that people are wearing iron and hiring mercenaries. Maybe just like, nah, don't. (laughs) Is that radical? I feel like I'm just using sound logic here. But hungry people, starving people don't use sound logic. Like her thought process there was I either go home hungry and have to deal with my freaking sisters and parent and one parent annoying me all night about not bringing them home food and go to bed hungry and then she even mentioned knowing like saying you know if i didn't come home with anything today and try it again tomorrow will i have enough strength to actually if i get something tomorrow will i have enough strength to actually pull it out because i have been starving for so long i don't have anything to keep me going yeah that's fair i guess i just think that there are so many more ways to do it including not 
I agree. But another reason that she really frustrated me is just the way she let him die. And if I was Tamlin, good old Tammy boy, I'm glad he doesn't Mm want to know how he died. Because I don't think I'd be able to keep the treaty. Because she shot him with the ash arrow in the chest side. Mm -hmm. Shot him again in the eye. Okay. That's fair. He was coming at you. You let him, you looked him in the eye and let him suffer and die instead of giving him a quick death. You just watched him die. You didn't even try to make it any faster for him. Whether or not it was a fae or just a wolf, I think that was disrespectful to that like creature's life. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, because it was a good five sentences after she shot the second arrow. She was saying he should have just died, that he shouldn't be dying. Mm-hmm. He should be dead. Yeah, I and I don't I can see both sides. I don't mind the fact that she stand them afterwards and left the body. Like she's not a Native American. She doesn't have like 10, 15 people hunting with her who can take this home and use every part of it. That does make sense. But just the mm-hmm. she felt empathy for him because she mentions what it was like to look in his eye and that it felt human. It felt mm-hmm. like something. And then just doesn't do anything. And that is where I think the treaty actually is right to a certain extent. That she that should mm-hmm. be an eye for an eye. Because if it was truly just her life for his, then you can make that a much faster experience than just kind of watching it, it's, it him suffer. Obviously, we know it's a him because it was a fae. But that was mm-hmm. just very frustrating to me. I can see both sides. I do agree with giving them the animal a faster death, but this is an animal that is so large that if it charged you, there was no way that she was going to survive. I think she was scared to approach it until she knew it was dead. So like if, if anything, if I'm going to say, you know, yes, it should have been a quicker death. Go ahead and shoot the third Mm -hmm. arrow. Like, go ahead. If you're going to give him a, a more merciful death, go ahead and try and aim for the heart this time. Like, you know, something. But I think that, you know, she, if he wasn't dead yet, like he was dying, he was still moving, he was still, you know, emanating this dark su- snow swirled around them. Like, but it was a regular know, wolf. It wasn't a fae. Yeah, it's fine. Um, yeah. So, I would not want to go up to that and kill it with my knife Mm -hmm. in fear that, you know, in its last fleeting breath tries to retaliate against me somehow. Like a cornered animal. I understand. Yes. So I understand her not wanting to go up to it until it was Mm -hmm. dead. But I do agree with you that she should have given it a more merciful death and more quick death. So if anything, I think she should have shot him a third time. Yeah, I, I can. I understand that. Just overall, I think she was choosing ignorance to believe that was a, a fay. Just overall. And I, I think she'd never seen a regular wolf before. But I don't think it takes yeah. more than a couple brain cells to rub together to figure out swirling snow, aura, and human eyes probably means not regular wolf. I agree with you. I agree so with you. So you want to start chapter two? What do you want? What do you most want to talk about? Okay, I will start chapter two. So, 
what what world pe- like period are we in? I'm making assumptions because she doesn't tell us. She's just like it's a hovel, it's a castle. She she yeah. doesn't explain like even saying like gothic architecture that would give me so much more than just being like it's yeah. a hut because I'm making <laughs> assumptions. Like she doesn't even really say other than tunic and trouser and dress what anything looks like for me to. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this isn't. I'm assuming this isn't supposed to be Earth. This is some other world that reflects yes. England, Ireland, and the main land according to the, the uh, okay. map that's in the book. Mm-hmm. But I'd like a little more description than just, ah, yes, a hut, a hovel. A castle with marble. I think she does a much better job of that in the Fey world, which is an interesting dichotomy. That everything mm-hmm. is so much brighter, beautiful, well described. Even the way she, I think her describing that art piece was a little bit over the top, but it made sense for Feyre, I guess. But mm-hmm. that I feel like the world building isn't there, other than the to counter okay. that. To counter that. I would say that she isn't describing her side of the world because that's something that she sees on a daily basis. It's not something that she notices anymore. So her saying, you know, just our hut, Mm -hmm. she said, you know, there are some markings on our threshold. She doesn't describe the threshold. She just says, you know, I just walk past my threshold. And, you know, I think that. And I will say she is what she does describe tells a lot because she does describe mm-hmm. the painting and elaine's mm-hmm. flowers and some of the mm-hmm. carving and the cane what she does describe does build the characters but to me it doesn't build yes. the world what builds the world more f- from mass is description of the human versus fey and kind of like oh what is this treaty what does the treaty mean what is the cauldron which comes later <laughs> That's more where the world is being built than actually describing what anything looks like, what we can think of, how they're dressing, those type of things. I think that was world building. I think that was world building in all, in all honesty because she doesn't – she she shows interest in the Fae world. Mm-hmm. Granted, it's something that she hasn't seen before, but she was so alone and in a dark place in her own world and where she thought that she belonged and where she thought she felt fit in it wasn't a good place it was cold and dark and lonely but whenever she gets to the fey world it's spring it's bright it's colorful i think that is world building it's giving you the two different worlds that she has the option to choose from right now she's choosing wrong because she wants to go back to dark and cold yeah. and lonely oh my gosh <laughs> but I think that was world building where it's showing how much of a disinterest and how much of a she how much she does not love the world that she comes mm-hmm. from versus the world that she finds so interesting and new and vibrant. I think that was world building in a backwards weird kind of way. It might not have been the way that you wanted it to be, but I do think that it was still built in a way that everyone was able to understand that or hopefully understand that, you know, this is bad. This is not what we want versus this is pretty. This is great. This is new. But it has danger. There's hope. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, both of them have mm-hmm. danger. She's either dying and starving or she's I think trapped and I think that's a really good point. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of my underlying issues and why I have such problem with seeing that as world building, which I, I definitely agree now that you've explained it in that way. I, I definitely see your point there is I hate I narration, first person narration. I don't think mm-hmm. Hunger Games was okay, but I think you can have a unreliable narrator with using the names instead of like you were saying we didn't find out her name until the fourth chapter we didn't find out tamlin's name until sixth chapter which makes more mm-hmm. sense but i think maybe it's just because percy jackson series just spoiled me where you have his perspective so distinctly and then i don't know or harry potter's perspective without having to say i did this i did that Harry Potter was definitely from like third person omniscient. Yeah. But Percy Jackson no, I wouldn't was say he was omniscient. First person. Well, third person omniscient is like God, I know all. Harry Potter's like the book Harry Potter was dumb. <laughs> he missed well, a yes, lot. Yes, but you also he missed a lot, but the narrator would be able to tell you that Hermione was upset over this. Yeah, because Harry knows she was crying. And then would and then there no, but it would say like Hermione is upset over this. Harry didn't notice. Uh, that, I guess this is a little. I wouldn't say narrator was necessarily omniscient though. That's not this point. <laughs> okay, well what, what? No, we'll quibble what to we'll call we'll it. We'll quibble later, Harry Potter in a different <laughs> podcast. Back to Court of Thorns and Roses. I think um, this chapter was a lot about the yeah. sisters and the dad. Do you have more yeah. to add? I think we kind of dug into them a good amount other than Elaine, but Elaine's just insignificant in general. Yeah. Elaine is just, she's just there. She doesn't really have a personality. She, you know, basically Farrah just says she's, she can't tell whether she's ignorant to the fact that they're poor or if she's just refused to accept it. I just think she's so dumb. And I mean that with the most love in my heart. I just... She seems to be nice. No, she's very of nice. Of the two sisters. She's kind. She bought Feyre the paint pots. Like, yes, of the two sisters, Feyre has the best relationship with Elaine. But is that because of any effort on Elaine's part? Absolutely not. Except for maybe buying That's the true. paint pots. But I, I feel like Elaine's the type of character who just wandered around. And it was like, oh, I have a penny. Oh, Pete. It's just like that type of character. Not necessarily like she was like, I love my sister. I'm going to buy her something that I know she'll enjoy. Maybe it was. Maybe we'll learn more about her later. I don't foresee her being a... I doubt it. Dynamic character. I I, I doubt it. (laughs) I I agree. I, I don't... I really hope that she does not get the chance to go back to her family. As bad as that sounds, I didn't like their dynamic. I didn't like what was mm-hmm. going on with them. Here's the thing. It was just rough I and hope, mean and just I don't think it, this is my conjecture. Just but I read the original Beauty and the Beast, unfortunately, in a French class. They made me read it in French. Didn't really like it. It's not as in like bring back Adam from Disney. But in the <laughs> original, she goes back and she makes a promise to the beast, which would be 
Tamlin, I'm assuming in this book, maybe that changes later on to include other characters being love interests, that sh- they'll mm-hmm. come back in a week. And the sisters get told about this really nice place that they can't go to, but their sister is allowed to go to. And they get so jealous mm-hmm. and so upset about it, they make her break her promise. And because of her his love for her, he almost dies because she didn't come back to him. So I'm thinking probably if she follows the original myth, original fairy mm-hmm. tale, she will be able to go back. It may not be this book, maybe later in the series. Yeah. But I don't I don't think she would spend this much time building a dynamic that she doesn't reuse later. Okay. That's a good point. I just I can already feel sexual tension between Tamlin and Feyre. Right there at the end, I could feel it. Whenever they were talking in the hallway, whenever she was going to go outside to the gardens and he goes, you. Like, during that little interaction, and it his was... knives and the leather. And did you catch the thing where he, she's like, oh, I can see his claws through his hands? That is the most badass description of this socially awkward boy that I've ever heard. You can fight back that uh, he's socially awkward, but I feel it in my heart. He, like, comes up. No, he's definitely he's socially like, awkward. His way of. Lucian even says, he, like, oh, you really lost touch with the ladies or something like that. Yes. <laughs> yes, his way of, like, of complimenting her was, your hair looks clean. Clean. <laughs> Love. I, 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 ideal man. Chef's oh, kiss. Um, yes. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah, and later on, she's like, you know, he's used to seeing these perfect fairy women and, you know, they have no flaws. So I'm sure that that was the best that he could do as far as a compliment for her. And I'm just like, why? I I, I really just she think that Lucian was beautiful. right. And that's a, a, an essential part of her I character. I think that's her sister's it's, fault. Well, I think. I think that's her sister's fault. I think that's Nesta. I also don't think she has, a, like, enough friends for <laughs> she has I no agree. social interaction except for going to the barn with oh, Isaac t- or the to market. the the mercenary the, uh, listen I, merc- I want to talk can about we the just mercenary? skip to the mercenary I love her so much chapter three she's my about chapter three yes. there's a cult okay chapter three is the mercenary there's a cult also who cares I was gonna say chapter three what don't skip over that my first note is about the cult so I forgot oh yeah children of the blessed children of the blessed which I immediately associated with or compared them to Jehovah's Witness I was just because they go around to people's front doors okay we're gonna offend people I'm sorry not really you guys wear special underwear I don't know what that means but they do have some foreshadowing there that I do want to mention with them. Also, they tell us a lot mm-hmm. about the Fae. Like, they're supposed to eat iron. Ash tells them what she knows, obviously, now. Yeah. Um, Silver mm-hmm. attracts them, which... I, me too. They're the overlords, <laughs> or they used to be the overlords of the world, and now they're being worshipped as new gods. But they do mention something about, oh, we, our sister... I, I don't remember the exact phrasing. Our sisters had been yeah. taken away and now she is a bride yes. of the Fae. And that right. was foreshadowing. Yes. I noticed that too. And then Nesta immediately was like, that's not a bride. That's just a dumbass person. And I was that's like, I mean, I kind of, I don't know how to break yes. it to you. 
She's probably yes. dead. I kind of agreed with Nesta on that. Oh, na- that's that when I started loving but she was being. I was like, hell yeah, you fight against that cult. <laughs> she was just ready to throw down. She was. And I mean, honestly, I'm surprised that Feyre stepped in. I mean, just, she has no love for Nesta. She just hates conflict. Feyre yeah, hates conflict. I can, I can agree with that. Again, another th- thing to compare to my sister. I, I Whenever I think of Feyre, I'm just thinking Avery. Love you, Avery. Yeah, I'm sure Avery's going to be thrilled that I'm throwing Listen, that out there. She said it, not me, and I will continue making fun of Feyre for. She almost feels like I'm not saying Bella, that she's the exact Bella from Twilight with a little more gumption, but that's how she feels like with her self hatred. Is what I. It's like Bella and Katniss had a depressed baby. She's way prettier <laughs> than both of them. And I think they would agree with me I on think that, that she's more... I think that she has more potential than Bella. Like, Bella was just a well, vegetable. Well, Bella, once she, she became just a didn't vampire, have anything. was pretty dang cool. Well, yeah, but, like, she had to wait to do that. Yeah, because Whereas- Sassy Meyer wanted to make a virginity pact thing, like, being a Christian and all. That's why there was four bugs. Because <laughs> she wouldn't get boned until the fourth. But you shouldn't... That's that's not a fair comparison. Like you're saying that a virgin is boring, whereas someone who's had sex is inside is exciting. No, no, no. And what I'm interesting. saying like is that's... Bella became a lot cooler when she became a vampire, and the reason why she didn't become a vampire for so long is because Stephanie Meyer wouldn't let her have sex, and that was because Stephanie Meyer's a Christian and wanted them to be married before they had sex. That's what I'm saying. Oh, all right. No, obviously virgins aren't more boring than people who had sex. That's your own decision. What I'm saying is Bella was written in such a way to have a definite like purity timeline. And therefore she didn't reach her ultimate coolness until the fourth book where she didn't do a lot except like fight the Voltari. But that didn't even happen in the I book. know. Which honestly, I think that was a better ending. Like not I would have rather or like what happened in the movie. No, no, what happened in the movie? I would honestly rather them fight them and have like, you know, they've quenched all of the other enemies that they've had. I'd rather them go into the future without having to think like, is this ever going to come back on us? Like, sure, they're appeased now, but like, they know that we can defeat them. They're going to try and make themselves stronger and come back again at some mm-hmm. point. Like, I don't think that that was over. I'm. I think hey, that they. You want to know a secret? They should have. I've not yes. read or watched most of the Twilight movies. <laughs> Am I not great at bullshitting? That's an aside. We can oh, cut yeah. that. I just needed you to know. Yes, that. let's do. Um. Um. Okay. Okay. So let's get to the mercenary because we've talked about the children of the blessed. Let's talk about the mercenary. I, so I have. I so love notes. her plot tool of foreshadowing. She foreshadows so much to me. She's so many angry. secrets i need to know all of them i'm mm-hmm. in i mm-hmm. am in love with her <laughs> her yes. mission uh i literally one of my notes is love her she sees everything <laughs> also she's a horrible mercenary though because she did not recognize a fey pelt or was she just lying yeah Do we think she was lying i don't know Do we think she's secretly know, so like- a fey i think she might be a fey who got trapped in the human world before the masquerade. (gasps) She probably never comes back and I'll be so depressed about it, but I, I know we didn't even learn her name. Like if she has a name, again, that's my thing. Like I need to know your name. 
So I know she, who I'm talking about. I don't want to just call her the mercenary. There's a couple hundred my, of them, probably. My lady mercenary. Coming soon to theaters <laughs> near you. I thought it was nice of her to give her so much money. Like, she overpaid for those pelts mm-hmm. a lot. Which makes me think that she did know mm. that it was a, a fey pelt. Because she was willing to pay so much. I think she didn't want to freak... Um, I think she didn't want to freak Feyre out. But she could have said, because they had the conversation, did it attack you? And Feyre was like, kind of, but I killed it. So do you want to buy it? I don't think she said yes. So the mercenary could have been like, hey, you know that treaty that everyone lives by? Yeah. But she did end up giving her a warning and saying, you know, like this, you don't want to run into a Martax Fey. That's the type of Fey that you do not want to interact with and you know then gave her what she gave her another tip on how to kill them like she felt she told her how she killed the fae that hurt her Mm -hmm. like she has this black poison that is just stuck inside her body and it someday it will kill her but as of right now she's still fine and still able to fight it and still able to fight off other people but she fought a fae. I was looking at so the do- description of Martex because I thought it was really interesting. So here it is. Body big as a boar, head something like a lion's, and three rows of teeth sharper than a shark's. And mean, meaner than the three put together. How do they know about all those things? Because if this is England, why do you have a lion? Why do you have a shark? Boar makes sense, but the other two? Is she just a world traveler? And why does Feyre act like she understands what those descripting like animals well, are? Well, they live on an island. I would think that they would know what a shark is. They're cold, If they though, live on an island. Are there cold water sharks? I thought they were more temperate than that. I have no idea. Do you want me to ask Alex? <laughs> no. I don't care that much, but I just thought that was interesting. But I would think that, like, even in the Middle Ages, they knew about lions. Like, they had zoos. Not zoos, but, like, circuses, right? Didn't they? Had they gotten to Africa yet in the Middle Ages? Like, extensively enough? I don't know. I don't... (laughs) History... No, I, don't, I think it depends on what I have no time idea. of Middle Ages because Middle Ages is a pretty big period. Like that's five hundred years. That's one thousand mm-hmm. AD to fifteen hundred AD. I guess we can assume they must know them somehow, or Mass mm-hmm. just wasn't thinking about that aspect when she made these descriptions. Was just thinking about this is good for the is reader. It, mm-hmm. Is it Mass or Moss? Who cares? Alrighty. Uh, Good to know. Moss, probably. I'll end up pronouncing it both ways, but I think it's Moss. So, my biggest thing from Chapter 3 was I liked the mercenary. I liked that she paid her so much for the pelts, and I liked that she gave her as as much information as she did so that Feyre was not totally blindsided whenever she got to the Feylands. I, I really liked the mercenary. Yeah, transition time. So at the end of every episode that we're actually reading part of a book, 
we're going to go through every single character, normally named characters, but I think we're going to make an exception this time for our lovely lady, the mercenary, and rank them who we least like, who we most like, and we can have our own reasoning for this. Mm -hmm. We're going to each give a favorite quote, and then Mm -hmm. my lovely co-host Bryn has a question for you, dear listeners. So comments on this episode, let us know. (laughs) Tweet at us. TikTok us. Please (laughs) get in touch with us. Answer our questions. We really want to know. So first, our ranking. Do you want to go top to bottom? I think we do bottom to top. Bottom to top? Okay, cool. Okay. So I have two different lists i have characters that we've heard about but we have not heard them talk and characters that we've actually heard them talk and have and like learned a little bit about their personalities oh so one includes isaac one doesn't essentially correct so already including isaac so i don't know if you want to just do that list or do you want to just explain your whole list and go rank through well i mean i just have so from bottom to top on characters that we've heard about but they we haven't directly met them and we haven't heard them talk there's only three okay. the bottom of the list is thomas because we know that he like he's not a good match for nesta his dad is abusive which means that he probably that's all he knows he probably mm-hmm. will be the same so he's at the bottom of my list or at the very least he sees no reason to stop it and that's just as bad yes i agree Second is Isaac, because while he seems to have a decent temperament, he seems to be very nice to Feyre, he doesn't seem very interesting. And, you know, the bad sex, the empty sex, just, you know, them saying that it's just a physical deed, it's not something made out of love, it's not something that's actually pleasurable, it's just a release, you know, that just kind of, mm, so sorry, dude. And then number one on the list of characters that we've heard about but don't talk or don't meet is Andrus because, you know, we learn about him. We learn Mm -hmm. a little bit that he's a good person. We don't really meet him very, like, very much. We, the only thing, we only meet him in his fairy form and he doesn't say anything. All we know is that he doesn't fight back and that he doesn't try and retaliate. So he's at the top of my list just for that. Maybe he might drop down later if we learn more about him, but what were you going to say? secretly a genocidal maniac. I think I would agree with that list. Oh yeah. I guess Isaac. Hmm. Only thing about Isaac that made him slightly interesting to me is that it shows Feyre's kind of type is that it's kind of the bad okay. boy because he mm-hmm. is kind of off to the side, loner, mm-hmm. standoffish. I think for that scenario, obviously now we have emo cultural, goth culture. That's a whole different type of bad boy if you consider yeah. them bad boys. Right, yes. For that time period, I think he almost would be that bad boy, which mm-hmm. cues me. For that type, which I don't think is Tomlin. So yeah, I was going to say if her, her type changes, or yeah, if maybe like you were saying that was just empty sets. So I'm like, wondering, yeah, he's the bad boy and he's rich. I'll have sets with him. I'm wondering if her type is more the person who shows interest in her because Isaac showed mm. interest in her, 
Like, you know, he And she already has walked, that self-doubt. Yes. He walked her home from the market that day. He's the one who initiated that. Then she was like, you know, I commented on his eggs and we went about our day. But then whenever he left, she was like, oh, I felt kind of lonely after he left. That was a nice interaction. I'm going to go after that. So I think maybe mm -hmm. her type is more someone who pays her attention because her family sure as hell doesn't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that she's going to learn more about what her type is. She's already said that Tomlin is drop dead gorgeous, that, you know, he has no features All about him. Are. I know, but anyway. Okay. So my other characters that we've met, we've talked okay. to, we've all of that at the very bottom of the list is Nesta. I can't. I just don't. I found myself being so irritated by her. I I wanted to skip whenever she talked, whenever she was talked about. I just wanted to skip that part, but I didn't because of the podcast. And then right, right barely, barely above Nesta is the father. His only redeeming moment is whenever he says, you know, you're too good for here. Don't come back for us. Go make something of yourself. Mm -hmm. That was his only redeeming moment. And, but otherwise he is totally reliant on his daughter. He doesn't help them at all. He doesn't show any care for them. It pissed me off whenever, uh, whenever Tomlin comes to their house to take Feyre and Elaine and Nesta are in the corner. Nesta's covering up Elaine, which we knew that was going to happen. I hate mm -hmm. her for it. And then Nesta, no, Feyre is the only one who's standing up to this intruder into their home. She's the one who has the knife who is standing up and putting herself between. Two knives. Yeah. Double two knives. Yes. Two <laughs> knives. She's the only one standing between the, the fairy and her family. And her father is protecting the two children in the corner. Like, he's not even trying to get to Feyre, not even trying to put himself between Feyre and the Beast. Yeah. Like, he's he's relying on her to protect them. That pissed I, me off. I that think put a him lower. times Feyre says he tried to move towards me, but he just couldn't do it because he yeah. was too scared. I think, I almost think, because she's an unreliable narrator in all of this, I think she does try, like, the way it's written, it seems like she tries to, but it is her own personal experience, so that's going to be unreliable to a certain extent. She wants to believe that her father would try to save her. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's true. I think I she agree. is lying to herself at a certain extent about how much her family would be willing to do for her. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I, I do think I agree that the father is ranked above last for only that quote. Yes. But I think don't think it's just because he loves his daughter. I think it's honestly a very proactive decision to say, don't come back because then I don't have another mouth. I have to beg and try to feed. Mm -hmm. If you come back, if you come back, upset the fae, maybe you're disabled like I am and can't feed us. Then you're just another mouth. I'll essentially let starve. Right. Yeah. So above the father is Elaine because mm -hmm. she seems Innocent, she seems like, you know, maybe she doesn't actually understand their predicament, what they're actually living in. You know, she seems simple. Yes, that's the word. 
Yes. Simple. She's very simple, but she doesn't help herself, which is why she's so low on my list. She's number six. Mm -hmm. Then above Elaine is Lucian. And Lucian's number five because his attitude, while commendable, it irks me a little bit. But, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get to the point of being able to accept Lucian, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure he'll have his re redeeming moment. But that's all I'm going to say on him. You can have more to say whenever you're discussing your <laughs> So we're on Zoom right list. now, so she can see my facial expressions. Yes. She knows we're starting to split very rapidly. We're splitting yes. on our, our ranking. Number four is Tomlin. And Tomlin's number four because he was so nice about handling the treaty and was so generous in allowing Feyre to live on his realm, in his realm. And, you know, I think that that's very commendable, very nice of him, but he doesn't seem... Dynamic? Yeah. I he hasn't developed enough for me to be like, yes, he's a very good character. He's a very good person. Mm -hmm. You know, he deserves to be higher up on this list. He He's not there yet. Number three is Feyre. And the, the reason that she is so low is because I disagree with her so much on her trying to get back to a terrible place where she's not, she's not valued. She's not loved. I don't understand. She's already said that she cannot escape him. So why even try? I don't understand. This is why that. we're not the heroines of every, any Because <laughs> we're just like, oh, you take me to just a palace? Give up. <laughs> you just take me to up. a palace? You feed me? Okay, I'll stay here. Yeah. What do you mean? Number two, sliding in at number two, is Alice. Okay. I have nothing bad to say about Alice. She's very nice whenever it comes to, you know, she is a fae. She, but she has been very nice to Feyre, whether that is because her master ordered her to, or whether it's out of the goodness of her heart, we don't know yet. But, you know, she's been very good to Feyre. She's bathed her. She's clothed her. She's given her advice on how to survive in their realm, in their world, you know, told her to keep her wits about her you know, said, you know, you're a fighter. I commend you of that. That's awesome. Maybe, you know, maybe you'll earn the respect of the master. We'll see. And then number one is the mercenary. And because mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. she was just, it was very difficult. Yes. To <laughs> she was, she was just so good to her, she, to Feyre. She gave her advice. She paid her a lot of money for the pelts. She was, you know, I wouldn't say she was kind, but she was real. She felt mm -hmm. real. And that is why she is number one for me. And yeah, so that's my ranking of our, of our characters so far. Okay. I agree for sure. I think I briefly said this with the non-speaking people. Mm -hmm. Andre is definitely at the top. I think he's so cool. He can turn into a wolf. That automatically makes him awesome. Right. Yes. I think what we're similar in is the separation we have. Cause we definitely, everyone in the Fae world and Feyre so much higher than human, like sister, sisters and father. Yes. Um, but we do differ in where we rank in them. So my number bottom eight, I think seven, yeah. eight mm -hmm. 
is Elaine. Because okay. in my ranking, you rank by how good people are. I'm ranking of how interesting I find them. Okay. Elaine is so uninteresting to me. Okay. She has done nothing to... She has the redeemable quality of buying paint. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> That's it. I don't care to read more about her. If she becomes a significant character, I'll honestly be disappointed. Like, unless there's significant character development that Feyre as this mm-hmm. narrator is just not giving us. Mm-hmm. Then I agree with the father. He's just so there. Blase. Doesn't mm-hmm. want to interact. Doesn't want to do anything. I don't honestly think... And this could be the fact a difference between a father and a mother. I don't think he has a really strong paternal relationship with any of his kids. Definitely not I Nessa. Agree. Um, yeah. Maybe Elaine, just because it's Elaine's just like a teddy bear. Like you just yeah. have to hug her and she'll be your friend. Yeah, Favor did say that of the children, the father favored Elaine, which doesn't it's make like any having, sense. It's having a chihuahua. That's what Elaine is. She doesn't have any substance. It's just, and I have a Chihuahua mix, but she has substance. So she has other things in her. It's that you can (laughs) see that there's marbles up there trying to do something, but nothing's working. (laughs) And I hate that I'm saying, because I hate, uh, I hate to be talking about a woman in this way, because it's always the women that are dumb. Because dumb men, we call himbos because at least they're hot. And Elaine seems to be attractive, but I there's no substance and I can't have to put her last because of that. Um, so the dad's nets for same reasons that you said. And then Nesta, because at least she's interesting. She is... She's just a bitch, though. A bitch. I can't deal. But <laughs> at least mm-hmm. she's something in that household. Yeah. That is why she's ranked higher to me. Okay. She's a horrible person. She's an asshole. Mm-hmm. She only cares about herself, Elaine, if she must. She wants to steal all the money that Feyre ever makes to buy herself yeah. stuff she does not need. Both of them do, though. Both of them fought over, like, who was going to get something out of versus the- boots. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, uh, you didn't earn it. What? You need to get the fuck away from the money that I just got us. Because that's going to go to either feeding us or it's going to go to the fact that my boots don't fit me. My coat is too small and like my boots are falling apart at the seams. If anybody's going to get anything replaced, it's going to be me because I'm the one who fucking earned it. Oh, I agree. That's what I have to say about that. Amen. Preach, sister. Bring that purse in. <laughs> um. Okay. So down there that's that's my reasoning for them not that they're good people they're all bad people Mm -hmm. elaine does not have the intelligence to know good and evil at a certain point i don't think (laughs) Mm -hmm. but that's my reasoning for the human world for the fey world obviously ranked above leads above yes my number five five would be honestly feyra honestly Okay. I think you've just, the way I've talked about her tonight, she's a very. Have I redeemed her at all? Like, trying to come in. Okay. You have. Coming from the opposite side. But here's the thing. I think Feyre and Tomlin's pretty close. I think Tomlin's a little bit above because he's my socially awkward boy. 
and I can't give the up Tammy on him. Tammy boy. He's my Poor Tammy, Tammy boy. boy. He's just so softly awkward, and I love him. <laughs> He's that little wolf with his claws on his hands, which is sick. And I just, that's why he's a little bit ranked above Feyre. Feyre's just frustrating to me. She's very, mm-hmm. I don't understand a lot of the decisions we make. I think we're just very different people. She's not real, but we're very different people. Yes, yes. <laughs> Where I just, I'm just like, why do you do the things you do? You're getting fed so well. Just take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so agreed. I think it's Feyre, then Tamlin, Tomlin. Uh... Then Lucian. Okay. Because of course I liked Lucian. <laughs> it's just his his sass. I understand where he's coming from. She's like, I just killed a Faye. Like, no, you killed his best friend by the sound. Like, he's going to hate you. I get it. Just the small sassy interactions he has with Tamlin where they just share eye contact. I appreciate so much. <laughs> I appreciate that he doesn't take someone's shit just because there are guests in his house or when he does he's pretending like oh my ma- my lady you look so beautiful today like that's the kind of sassy sarcastic bullshit that I appreciate in the character that he has to be ranked a little bit higher just for mm-hmm. me I do think he'll end up turning evil <laughs> okay because of course he's the guy with the star and the missing eye he's gonna be evil but yeah. the fact he has like a golden orb, that's cool. Yeah, I agree. I that agree. Needs, and yes. he's a fox, like that's going to be my type. Like he has to be ranked highest. Yeah. Of the of the males we've met, he's gonna mm-hmm. be ranked a little higher for me. Mm-hmm. Then this was actually really close because I love Alice, but she's yeah. my second place, mercenaries first, for all uh-huh. the reasons we've listed for mercenary. But Alice, I think, has that straight face sarcasm i don't know that i call it sarcasm but that straight-faced humor that really comes through and she is one of the characters that made me stop and reread something because i'm like is she joking or is she just like yeah. this yeah when she brought in Feyre's clothes and it's just like oh you want to wear these again and just starts picking them apart because they were falling yes. apart i was like yes queen <laughs> please break this down and i think that is why she is my second place because mm-hmm. she has that ability just cut through the bullshit with Feyre. And yeah. I think that's going to be important for her in the future, especially as she starts to develop feelings towards Tomlin. I mean, we've seen that in the back of the book and mm-hmm. a connection to the Fae world that she's now I agree. In. I agree. I think Alice is going to play a very big role in convert, not converting, but helping Feyre adjust to mm-hmm. this new world and also adjust to Tamlin. And, you know, she keeps, she keeps mentioning that, you know, she wants to find someone who has the ear of Tamlin to maybe plead her case to try and get her to go back to the hovel, which I'm still not on. I, I can't be on board with that. Like you, you were not valued there. And I think Alice will be a very, key character in convincing Feyre to stay. So I'm I'm looking forward to that whole interaction. I agree. And that's why she's my number two. Also, I think she's a beautiful lady. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she has a little bird mask. I think that's really yeah. cute. And something I'd like to point out, because we didn't in our previous discussion, that I think there's a ranking in what masks people wear, because it seems like all the servants wear bird masks, 
And then the more you move up in the food chain, you have predatory mass. And I think Mm -hmm. that has something to do with how the Fae hierarchy does. Interesting. That's a theory. I didn't pick up on that. I could be wrong. I most Mm -hmm. likely am, but it is something I noticed. But I think this moves us into our favorite quotes. Yes. And I will start with mine because yes. I, I specifically noted in my little sticky note, I put me on it because I thought this is how I am. Mm-hmm. And so this is when, this is chapter four, when Tomlin, as his wolf form comes in, is like, hey, either I kill you or you come with me as and live with me with life for a life type of thing yes and she's just like what do you mean i can come with you what are you talking about and he's like i'm being merciful but this is how it's worded he said slowly as if i were indeed as stupid as a swine you can either die tonight or offer your life to perithian by living in it forever forsaking the human realm and if that is just not how I wish I could talk to everyone who's annoying and being stupid. Mm-hmm. I don't know what is. So that is my favorite quote. And I think that shows kind of like the, hopefully what their interactions will be like once he starts warming up to her. Mm-hmm. I think we both approach this in a different aspect as far as like favorite quote. Okay. Because you went for a sarcastic quote where you were like, I wish I could talk to people this way. Whereas my favorite quote is- I wish is, I could be an asshole all yes. the time. <laughs> yeah. And just get away with it. Yes. Um, my favorite quote is the father's redeeming quote. Like his only redeeming uh, okay. quote. Whenever he says Pharaoh and she says, you know, he his fingers trembled, but his eyes became clearer and bolder than I'd seen them in years. You were always too good for here, Feyre. Too good for us. Too good for everyone. If you ever escape, ever convince them that you've paid your debt, don't return. Don't ever come back. You go somewhere new and you make a name for yourself. I love that because it means that he did recognize that she was important, that she was special and I really appreciated that he at least attempted to repair any type of bond, any type of love between the two of them. And I I just thought that that was really good for her to hear. I mm-hmm. hope that she thinks back to it whenever, like, you know, you keep saying that she thinks of herself as ugly. She doesn't value herself. I hope that she thinks back to this quote whenever she's feeling down on herself. And I hope that this quote is what keeps her going because I just loved that he, even if it was last resort, she's never going to see me again. I'm glad that he was able to say it to her because I think that she needed it just as much as he did. I agree with that. And I think that is a, that was a quote that stuck out with me. I went the more sarcastic route, just emotions. Who's that? (laughs) <laughs> but I think that hope I agree, and I hope that that does become. I think that will take character development for her to really realize that because she's so mm-hmm. stuck on her mother's promise that she cannot even think of accepting his advice. I, I think, think that they're leading up to that, though. I think that they. Yeah. I think that Moss keeps harping back on the fact that she takes that promise so seriously 
that whenever she breaks, finally decides to let go of the promise. I think that it's supposed to be like a very symbolic, mm-hmm. very powerful moment. So um, I think that it will happen. It's just not going to happen as soon as we would probably like. But I think it's I think it's coming. And I would agree with that. And I hope that I would hope that that does happen sooner rather than later. Because I. I'm sure she's going to be a very big part about breaking the blight, which we haven't mm-hmm. really mentioned that much. That is distorting the magic around yeah. the Fae, yeah. just in lieu of how she came to the world. Yeah. Um, and I think she's going to have to break through that kind of mental barrier to be able to be that beneficial character in re- resurrecting the Fae's power. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's... a. I, I definitely agree that that is a very potent quote. And I think that will carry through, I hope, in the rest of the book. Mm-hmm. So I think that's favorite quotes, favorite characters. So quote, our question of the yes. episode. Yes. So I do have a question for y'all. Um, this was something that stuck out to me whenever I was reading uh, in the eighth chapter, whenever she's having dinner with Lucian and Tamlin, Tamlin tells Lucian that Feyre enjoys hunting. And Feyre then immediately says, no, I did it out of necessity. It's not that I enjoy it. It's just something that had to be done. So my question for all of you, and you know, I hope that I, I, I have an answer to this, I think. And I hope you have an answer to it as well. What is a skill that you don't think you would have known about or pursued without someone else's encouragement or it being required of you what is what is that skill for you so i was pushed a lot to be a little bit more artsy over quarantine so i learned how to hand braid blankets which you got one of those yeah and i think i was i was pushed to do that by my family saying hey you need christmas gifts for people birthday gifts whatever go buy some yarn and learn how to hand it and I, mm-hmm. I did, and I, I honestly really enjoy it because I can put it on TV, TV show, a podcast, whatever, and just knit and have it done in a couple hours. Um, I think that for me, that the skill that I have obtained, uh, and it's not really, I wouldn't say that it was something that I would have pursued, is golf. Hmm. Granted, at this point, I have not played golf in I I haven't played golf during quarantine, which mm-hmm. would have been a good time in order to do that. But my sister, Avery, who I keep mentioning, she fell in love with golf and would constantly, constantly play golf in our backyard and in our front, everywhere, basically. And I'm very good at um, hitting okay. off the tee, which is something that I, I don't necessarily enjoy it. It's just something that... I do to in order to spend time with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't I don't think everyone can hit very well off the team. So it's just it's just a little skill that um, I'm not going to be putting it on my resume or anything, but it's just <laughs> a little something to to say. So I, I want to know what what your skills are, all of you listeners. Yeah, I really like that question. I think that's a, a good question. I like the fact that it 
tangently relates but it also helps to, us get to know you guys a little bit mm-hmm. better and hopefully you'll learn us more uh, more about us as we continue on with these questions because we're not just book readers and nerds obviously that's why you came here yes but you're a much more complex person and so are we and as we grow this little community we want to be able to know the diversity and the different interests and passions that you guys have beyond just reading and critiquing literature if you want to call what we're reading literature which is a whole different debate but i think we've come to the end of our episode so Mm -hmm. i am going to say that i feel great about this i think this went really well and i think we should end on a cheers once again absolutely let's cheers so i hope y'all all all have a great night we'll see you soon cheers For more information and updates, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Sips and Subtext. If you like what you're listening to, make sure you subscribe and follow us. And if you're feeling extra nerdy, give us a buzzed-worthy review.